All right, we'll get started. We join in prayer. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for, again, this beautiful weather uh, that you've given us. Thank you for this time that we can gather and worship and praise. And indeed, Lord, what a beautiful name. The name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that as we get into your word, may we, Lord, just sit at your feet and just allow your spirit to speak to us, teach us, encourage us. May your word be um, stirring in our hearts and our minds, Lord. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. I don't know how many of you this has happened to you. But uh, in come January, sometime in January, right, you start to see the decorations and the ads. You start seeing these pink and red hearts everywhere, right? You look all around you. You hear the commercials. You hear the advertisements. You look at all the storefronts, and you have the decorations all on the windows. You go into the stores. Everything's pink and red and roses and, and hearts everywhere, right? When you see all those things, what does it tell you? You know the day is approaching. So in your minds, you think, oh, okay. I got to get ready. The day's coming. Days go by. Weeks go by. Before you know it, the decorations, the ads seem to kind of blur in the background, right? It blurs in the background. Weeks go by. Next thing you know it, the day comes, you look, and you realize, oh my gosh, what's today? It's the 14th. It's Valentine's Day. All that time, all the decorations, all those ads, you saw it initially, but as the weeks go by, it all blurred. And before you know it, the day comes. It's Valentine's Day, and you don't have anything planned. You don't have a gift. You don't have flowers. You're running, and I don't know if you've ever gone to those chocolate stores, and the line is filled with husbands and boyfriends panicking, and all is left is the nuts and the caramels, right? I heard that happens. Never happened to me. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to lie. But this can happen in all sorts of situations, can it? Right? We have calendars. We mark on our calendars. We, have, we, might, we do sticky notes for ourselves. All these reminders. Leading up to Christmas, we have a Christmas music. We have all that stuff. And the next thing you know it, we're still panic shopping on Christmas Eve. Somehow this happens to us. But in all kinds of situations where we have these reminders, we know what to look for, but for some reason, we're still caught off guard. If you know your American history, you know the story of Paul Revere, right? What's the story of Paul Revere? He and actually two other writers, they rode off to warn of the incoming British soldiers coming in, Right? 
And we know the poem of the British are coming, the British are coming, right? And those three writers successfully alerted Samuel Adams and John uh, Hancock that they are coming for them. They wanted, the British soldiers are coming. So they alerted and they got the, the militia ready for the British soldiers. But of course, if you know American history or even recent history, we know that sometimes Warning signs are not as heated. Heated, not heated, heated, right? Two of the more tragic American events that took place in our history was a result of surprise attacks, right? You think of Pearl Harbor. You think of the attack of 9-11. There were warning signs. There may have even been some alerting signs leading up to it. But of course, the attacks happened, and we weren't ready for it. There are a lot of people who woke up that morning, and they didn't think that this would be their last day. They didn't think this day would change the course of thousands and change the course of our nation. They just woke up like it was any other day. Awareness, preparation, and alert. These are all things very applicable to our life in all different areas of our life. To be aware, to be prepared, and to be alert. Remember last week, Pastor Andy gave a message, and he talked about how in natural disasters, how people are alerted with plenty of time to respond and react. But so many people fail to respond accordingly. They think, well, It's not going to hit my house, right? He mentioned that last week. How many of you are, I know there's maybe a couple of you who are preparing to learn how to drive, right? That's a big deal. Parents are being prepared of their kids how to drive. Let me give you my number one tip for driving. That's for all of us. My number one tip for driving is this. Be aware, be prepared, and be alert. Be a defensive driver. In other words, when you're learning to drive, you need to be able to see what's going on around you. You know what's going on around you. Okay, You're aware of not only what you're doing, but the other cars, what they're doing, right? And you've practiced driving, so you're prepared. You know how to respond in a given situation. And then you're, a, you're an alert driver. In other words, that you are ready. If something unforeseen, unexpected is going to take place, you are alert and you're ready to respond in a moment. Sometimes you can't respond, but you are mentally prepared. So you're ready to respond what you're doing, but what other drivers are doing, right? So this idea of being aware, prepared, and alert covers all different areas in our life. Well, we're going to look at that lesson today as we finish up Mark chapter 13. In chapter 13, we've been looking at the topic of end times, right? Eschatology, Christ's return. And I mentioned a few weeks ago when we started that this is not an exhaustive look at all of eschatology. My point isn't to convince you of your position of eschatology and, and, and uh, you know, premillennial, postmillennial, pre-trib, post-trib, uh, all those kind of things, right? My point wasn't to give an exhaustive teaching of eschatology. 
Perhaps we'll do that another time. A few weeks ago, I talked about what's important for us as we approach these passages. is to what do we know for certain? What is certain that Jesus is saying is going to take place, right? So if there's passages that we're not very certain of, there's some debate and discussion of how to interpret certain things, what can we at least know for certain that Jesus is saying here? And if you remember, we're not going to read all of chapter 13 again, but if you look at chapter 13 from verses 5 through 27, there are certain things that Jesus said will take place. He says that there will be a rise of deception, some false teaching, false Christ. People who will claim to be Jesus will come onto the scene and say, hey, look, here's Jesus. Right? We see how he bookends it. He speaks of it in verse 5, and then he speaks of it in verse 22. He says there will be global disasters, natural disasters, global conflicts. He says these things will take take place. But yet these things are not the end. So we, I mentioned before a couple of weeks ago how, so when we look at natural disasters, we tend to think, oh, Christ is going to come any moment. We hear these rumors of wars and conflicts. We think, oh, Jesus is going to come in any moment. But Jesus says, look, these things are going to take place, but it's not yet the end. And then he warns the disciples about persecution, hardship. You are going to go through trials. You're going to be, you have to testify of my name, rulers in the synagogues. You will get beaten. You will get betrayed even by family members. And then he says, you will be hated all for my name, for my sake. Right? He talks about, but first, the gospel must be preached to all nations. He talks about there's going to be a time of great tribulation that has never occurred before and unlike and, and ever will. And then he talks about how Jesus, he says, he is going to come back. He's coming back and he's coming for his elect, saints, his people. That is our great hope, right? We have to clear to those certain, that certainty above all else, that Jesus is coming back and he's going to gather his people to himself for those who are still alive in that time. That is our great hope. So Jesus declares all these things in chapter 13, but I mentioned how if you look a little more closely at this passage, a lot of questions arise, a lot of questions about the timing and what's going to take place. Some people wonder, well, is this still relevant to us at 2022? Because some people interpret this as saying, well, this is only relevant to the early church. That Mark 13 and Matthew 24, that only describes what's going on for that early church to prepare them for the destruction of the temple, for whatever is going to take place. There's a lot of different questions. So what can we be certain of? What can we agree to disagree on? But what are some things that we can be relatively certain of? I'm going to talk about maybe one of the most important things. One of the important messages for us to take away when we're reading Mark 13. We're going to pick it up in verse 28. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark 13, verse 28. By the way, I love hearing the pages of Bibles. Hint, hint. 
intent. I'm not, don't worry, I'm not judging those of you who are looking at your phones, because I'm going to trust that you're looking at your Bibles, and not your Twitter, not your emails, not your texts, not your schedules, not your whatever it may be, whatever your likes, whatever it is. But I love the hearing of the pages. By the way, I put it up on the screen, the text for the screen, for those who don't have a Bible. That's why I put it up there. So if you don't have a Bible, let us know. We would love to give you a Bible to bring to church. All right, all right, enough of that, enough of that. All right. Don't worry. I'm just kidding, not really. I'm serious. 28. Now learn the parable from the fig tree when its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves. You know that summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near right at the door. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time is. It is like a man away on a journey, who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, at cock crowing, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. So here Jesus provides two analogies to communicate this three-pronged exhortation. It's like the same exhortation, but said in three different ways. What's that exhortation? Be aware, be prepared, and be alert. Look at verse 28 and 29. Jesus uses an analogy of the fig tree. And he says, when you see the branches preparing itself to bear its fruits... You know the season, right? You know what's coming. For those of you who have trees in your background, you can understand, right? For those of us who live in California, well, those of us who live in California, that's all of us who live in California. What am I saying? For those of us who've been in California, maybe you've heard this said, and here in California, we only have two seasons. Hot and sunny, and not so hot and sunny, Right? (laughs) That seems to be the only two seasons we have in California. If you go outside our state, you go up north, you go up east. No, well, I don't know about so much about the south, but you go other parts, you literally have these four seasons. You can tell by the trees, you can tell by the weather, the climate, the environment. It's going to be the seasons. For us here in California, it's just like summer and not as summer. That's our, our seasons. So Jesus gives this analogy. He says, look at the fig tree. It will tell you what season is coming. So verse 29, he says, even so you too, when you see these things happening, right? All that we read previously in chapter 13, recognize that he is near right at the door. 
Now, some translate that, that part where it says, he is near. Some translate it as I've read it, he is near. Some versions translate it as it is near. You may, depending on your version, it may read he is near or it is near. Truthfully, it doesn't make a difference as to whether you translate it he or it because it refers to the same thing. His coming or his, the kingdom come, the kingdom of God is coming, right? But the emphasis is that it is near, and notice it, 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 it repeats this emphasis right at the door. It's near, and even more particularly, at the door. I don't know how many of you have ever been at a surprise birthday party. Any of you? Surprise birthday party? Maybe you planned one, or you attended one, and you managed to be a guest, right? Have you ever been in the house of a surprise birthday party? And as the time is approaching, people are getting anxious and ready. And then you all get the alert. They're here. They're here. Turn off the lights. Lights turn off. Everyone gets in their hiding spot. And you hear the footsteps at the door. And you go, shh. And they open the door. And it's not them. Right? It's someone else. But then it's ready. They're at the door You're in anticipation to say, surprise, right? For you kids, your parents have been away, so whatever you're messing around, but once you hear those keys at the front door, oh, they're here. At the door. Jesus says, even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize it's near at the door. Notice, be aware of the time of the season because it is at the door. He goes on in verse 30. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So here we see Jesus will contrast falling asleep with staying awake and alert. Be active. Be prepared. Be ready. Now, it's interesting. This portion of of this passage where Jesus says, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. There's general consensus of this understanding that the heavens and the earth will pass away. Right? There's no debate on that. Earth, our life as we know it, our surroundings are always be this way. God will make a new heavens and a new earth. Praise God, right? All the environmentalists should celebrate. Yes, God will make all things new. No more global warming, no more green trash cans, no more worrying about, no debate about electrical or gas vehicles, all those things. God will make all things new. Praise God. There's no debate about the fact that Jesus says, His words will not pass away. It's not going to go irrelevant. It's not going to go unheard or grow old. If you think about it, this is a bold statement by Jesus. That he says, my words will not pass away. Think about it. Is there a more influential person in all of human history than Jesus? There's no one who has impacted the world more 
than Jesus. But then he says this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. So this is where the debate happens. What does this mean? Who is he referring to when he says this generation? So when people interpret to this passage, they say, well, Jesus must mean the current people that he's talking to. So this generation of people who's, who's hearing my words now. So if they interpret it as that, Jesus is referring to the people then. So then that changes the. So they'll interpret that all in chapter 13 describes events that are going to take place in their lifetime. So they'll see, view it as well. This is just Jesus talking about the end of the temple, the destruction of the temple. So they view those things in, in that manner. It's an interesting debate, interesting topic. I'll touch on it a little bit in a moment. Verse 32. He says, but of that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. You hear that, you may think, whoa. Wait, wait, Wait a second. What did Jesus say? You understand that no one would know. No person knows when he's going to come. Aren't they not too hard to understand? It may not be too hard to understand when he says, not even the angels in heaven know when he's going to return. Hey, that's, not too, that's not difficult to understand. But Jesus says, not even the Son knows, but only the Father. That could be a little stumbling. You may think, well, what does that mean? Does that mean that Jesus doesn't know when he's going to return? We talked a little bit about this Friday night. I don't know any other way around it than other than to say that Jesus, when he came to earth, is described as he emptied himself, he no longer had the infinite knowledge that he had as the eternal Son of God, that he was limited. He didn't cease to be the Son of God, right? He says, me and the Father are one. But somehow, it's kind of crazy. He didn't have omniscience. Because he tells them, not even the Son, but only the Father. So I think Jesus in the moment was saying the truth. I don't know when that happened. And the question we talked about Friday night, does Jesus know now? Right? We, we have a nice talk about it. My opinion, I think Jesus knows now. If you say, well, I don't think Jesus knows now. You're not going to hell. That's okay. All right, it's not a salvation issue. Something to think about, something to chew on. You know, have you ever had, like, a, you made a steak, and you cooked it a little bit too much? It's a little chewy. I gave you some chewy meat to chew on and think about for a moment, all right? In any case, what Jesus did know is the message to give his followers. Verse 33. Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time is. It is like a man away on a journey, who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming whether in the evening at midnight, at cock crowing, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. 
And what I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. So Jesus used a second scenario to illustrate his emphasis, his point. And it's about a man who goes off, goes off on a journey. Sound familiar? Right? We've been seeing Jesus use this parable, this, this, this parable, this image in previously. How there's this master who goes away on a journey. So he goes away on a journey and he tells his servants, he gives them these tasks to do while he's away. And he tells the doorkeeper to stay on the alert because you do not know when the master's coming. I don't know if some of you who have multiple siblings in your childhood, you had a scenario where your mom and dad went home, and so you siblings were left alone, and perhaps you left the duty of the youngest kid to be the watch, the doorkeeper. Okay, hey, Bobby. I don't know, there's no Bobby in here, so I'm just using Bobby. Bobby, you let us know when you hear mom and dad's car coming up in the driveway, or the garage door opens. That's your job. Stay alert. No, 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 don't have any fun. Don't stay out of the room. You got to stay here. Got to let us know when they're returning. I think only one person can relate to that in here. But notice Jesus, his emphasis. In fact, he uses three different Greek words to emphasize this point of be on your guard. To see, to be discerning, perceive with the senses. Be aware of what's going on around you. Keep alert. Be sleepless. Keep awake. Watch circumspectfully. If you parents, if you are at the point where your kids get to go out at night, moms or maybe dads, you stay awake. Until that kid comes home, huh? I rely on Jamie to do that for me. <laughs> I'm at the age where I can't seem to stay awake too, too, as, as much as I used to. But man, she's awake anyways. I can't go to sleep until my kid comes home. He uses a third phrase, third word. To watch, give strict attention, be cautious, be actively cautious. You see the emphasis here? Jesus contrasting this falling asleep to staying awake, being alert, be active and working, keep doing with anticipation that the master is going to come at any time and you don't know it. Be alert, be aware, and be prepared. Be aware of the right? See what's going on. Observe your surroundings and see what's taking place. Be prepared for the master's return. Be working, be found doing and not sleeping. And he says, be alert. Pay attention. Be cautious watchful of the things that are going all around. See, I think this is the key. I think this is the most important thing that we are to understand when we're talking about end times passages. 
I've watched many videos, read books, seminars, conferences, all those things about end times. And there's still the debate. But what's important for us to understand, be aware, be prepared, and be alert. I believe God intended the church to be constantly aware, prepared, and alert. This is how I approach these passages of eschatology with the debate of, of what fall in. My premise is I look through it, I say, you know what? I believe God intended at each time of the church, throughout church history, that the church in the moment ought to be aware of what's going on, looking at the signs, looking at what's going on, be prepared, be working, be doing, and be on alert for his coming. And see, when we read the passage in Mark 13, it was very relevant for the early church. What Jesus was saying, they had points of reference. They could say, you know what? This, this looks like this. This is what happened. This is in our context. We're going to be alert. We're going to be aware. We're going to be prepared for his coming. And in fact, if you look throughout church history, there are moments where the church was like thinking, he's going to come. I mentioned this before when I was a kid growing up. Any technology, any kind of things is like the sign of the beast. <laughs> be aware, be alert, anytime. So what are we as the church today, what should we be aware of? Before I get to that, there's something that I didn't touch on. And that is in verse, uh, verse 14. When Jesus talks about the abomination of desolation, I realize I didn't talk about this here on, on Sunday, so I'll just briefly mention what that is. The idea of this abomination of desolation, what is that referencing? That's referencing Daniel chapter 9, Daniel 11 and 12, is this mention of this abomination of desolation taking place. And to sum it all up, it's believed to be talking about someone who will commit such a detestable act, all right, an abomination, in the temple of God that would cause desolation, horror, or destruction. Okay, that's what's believed, general reference, believe that that was in reference to. And at the time of the early church, this was believed to have been fulfilled by the Greek king Antiochus Epiphanes in 168 BC. This king wanted to eradicate and wipe out Jewish worship. So he made it a rule, a law. He enforced these detestable acts upon the Jewish people. And the peak of it, right, the, 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 the point where the Jewish people said, enough is enough, we can't take anymore, was upon the, burnt, the altar of burnt offerings, he made a sacrifice of a pig, right, which was an unclean animal for the Jews, a sacrifice of pig to the altar of Zeus. Can you think of a more detestable act, an abominable act before God than to do such an unclean sacrifice in God's temple to this unknown God? This, of course, spurred on the Maccabean revolt and where you have the celebration of Hanukkah, right? So in the Jews at the time, they thought Jesus was referring to that, so that had taken place. Some also refer to think of it as the, the fulfillment of the destruction of the temple. As the Roman soldiers destroy the temple, trample the courts, 
People view that as the abomination of desolation. Personally, I believe it was relevant to the church. It's relevant to us today. I believe there's still something to come that's going to fulfill what Jesus is saying, that we need to be watchful for. That's my interpretation, my view of it. Take it with what you will. But I believe there's the events that are still to come that will be fulfilled in that way. But the question is, what are we to be watchful for? Whoops. Give me a second. What are we to be watchful for? What are we to be aware of and prepared for? Not about an earthquake, although you can be alert on the earthquake. So get your earthquake supplies. That's okay. Climate change. All right, we can be responsible about our environment. That's not the thing that we're to be watchful for. Rumors of wars, that's going to take place. That's alarming. But I think perhaps the more pressing thing that we need to be watchful for, aware of, is the condition of society and the direction of humanity and where it's going. The level of sinfulness today. I think that we, that's the thing that we need to really be watchful of. We need to be watchful of Christ's return, his coming. That's the most important thing, Christ's return. Look what Paul says in 1 Timothy. But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, by means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience, as with a branding iron. What a description of society. He says, times are coming when people's conscience is going to be like seared with a hot iron. Where their conscience is going to be so seared that there's going to lose sensitivity to what is right and wrong. They're going to be numb to it. No feeling. No sense of right and wrong. Merely pleasure-seeking. I don't know about you, but that describes our society, doesn't it? Isn't that the case we see today? People's conscience are so seared that there's no sensitivity anymore to right or wrong. Scripture says that people are going to put up, they're going to, they're going to gather up teachers in whom they want to hear. Look what he says in 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled. How many of you like your ears tickled? Turn to somebody and tickle. No, don't do that. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. 
Paul says to young Timothy, there's going to come a time when people are going to no longer hear sound doctrine. They don't want to hear what the Bible says. They're really not interested in hearing what's right and true. All they want to hear is what tickles their ears. You know what that means? Hear what they want to hear. I want to listen to this person. I want to listen to this podcast. I want to listen to this teacher. I want to listen to this celebrity. I want to listen to this guru. I want to listen to this person. Because they're telling me what I want to hear. Rather than what I need to hear. Or what is true. So Paul says, preach the word. Be ready in every season to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Because it's not always going to be a time when people are going to listen. People may not want to hear it. They don't want to hear it anymore. Here's the main point I hope we can come away with today. One, our certainty is the great hope that Jesus is going to return. That's the main hope. That's the main point. One day, the master will return. Praise God. We have that great hope that there is inexpressible joy after we breathe our last breath. This thought hit me this week. We will all breathe our last breath on earth. But our next breath will be with Jesus. Isn't that amazing to think about? That's an incredible thought to think about. We all fear that last breath we may take, that moment. But after that, inexpressible joy. That's an amazing, amazing thought. But in the meantime, we are to be aware, be prepared, and be alert. We will face increasing difficulty as believers and followers of Christ. Whether you believe there's a great tribulation period, literally or not, you cannot deny that we're heading in times that it is going to be and is more increasingly difficult to be a professing Christian believer in Christ, follower of Christ, standing up for the truth of God's word. It is becoming more and more difficult. That's tribulation. That's hardship. My prayer is that we all have enduring faith. Faith that will stand when everyone bows down to the altars, right? To the idols, the false Christs, the false promises. While everyone is bowing down to those things that we would have an enduring faith that is willing to stand up. For Christ. And I can't say this enough. I say this often. But particularly to the young generation. The generation that's coming up. You are living in a more difficult time. But at the same time. In some ways it's easier. Why do I say it's easier? I've just been saying it's difficult. you'll know where you stand. You'll know where you stand because the evil and good, what is right and wrong is becoming more and more 
clear. Evil is becoming more and more distinguishable to those who see good. Right? Evil is becoming more and more bold in your face. I can get away with it now. This is what it is. It's no longer blurred lines. Christians have lived a lot of lives. So many of us in this room, we live, grew up being Christian. And it's kind of easy to hide among the unbelievers. It's going to come a time. It's not going to be as easy. But you need to be ready. Understand, and I'm going to speak to here this portion, but it's all throughout and online, whatever it is. We need to understand evil is real. And evil is out to warp your mind, to deceive you, to destroy you, to pull you away from God, pull you away from faith, pull you away from his word, so you will fall into the deception and the false promises the world has. That's real. And parents, if your dream for your students is the college and the career, then you're falling into the trap itself as well. Because there's nothing more important than your child's faith, your child's soul, their relationship with God. And if you're set on the world standards of career and college, that is most important first. Let's get you on track there and then all the other stuff will fall in place. You are being deceived. And if your child cannot see how good God is in your life, if, he, if they can't see the impact of God in your life and your relationship with God and what it looks like, then why would they feel the same way? Why would they have the urgency? Why should your child look at your life and say, well, I don't see God. I don't know where God is. You don't talk about God. There's no reference to God. There's nothing God. God's not in home. Why should it be important to me? All you seem to emphasize to me is my grades, my A's, my career, all those kind of things. What is more important? See, times are coming when it's going to be increasingly difficult to stay faithful to God. And we got to be watchful. We have to be alert, be prepared, be found doing God's work, and be ready. And the two things don't have to be mutually exclusive, right? To be faithful to God doesn't mean they're going to be a bad student. It doesn't mean they can get D's or F's or whatever it may be, or C's or B's, whatever it is. It doesn't mean they can't be committed to those things. But it means that God is glorified in everything we do, and we are doing the Lord's work in all aspects of our life. Be alert, be aware, be prepared what's going on around us. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord, we come before you. God, um, we're, li- we're living in very deceitful times. But Lord, you... Call us to be aware. See the seasons, what's going on. The direction in which we're going to as a society. To be prepared. To be doing the Father's business, his work. To be doing the tasks that you have set before us. 
and that we would be on alert. We don't know when you're going to come, but we need to be ready. I pray, Lord, that we would have an enduring faith that stands up, willing to go through tribulation and hardship and criticism and to be hated for your name. We ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Let's stand and let's worship.